Welcome to 50% with Marcel Combs, my good friend and mentor. I'm DeAntha Gratton, and on this podcast, she will travel a journey of leadership with each guest as she analyzes the ingredients that lead women to their current role. Marcel's goal is for you to walk away with tools to support your very own journey, no matter where your current destination is today. Hello, DeAntha. Hi, Marcel. How are you? I'm so good today. We have such a fun person. Yes, to... I'm so excited about her. What a life story this gal has and uh, what God has done for her. In every way. Every way. Every way. It's uh, mm-hmm. Beth Greco, and she's the president CEO of Having Home. Mm-hmm. And she's been, she's, she's a, if you will, a mm-hmm. self-made woman. She is. She yeah. didn't started, go to college. No, learned on the job. Did uh, did it the hard way, but uh, with God's plan, she she has it right where she needs to be. And and it would give I think gives inspiration to women that you can make the most of something, even if you don't, even if you haven't followed all the steps that they tell yes, you absolutely. you should do. Absolutely. So it's, um, I think her journey, uh, just as a woman who was first, as she would say, given a one-way ticket uh, from the state of Texas to go there to just um, reading every book she can possibly read. Yes, and mentors. She talks about mentors along the way, too, and I love how she says uh, she's among the tribe that trusts, which is kind of like wow. her inner circle yes. that just love her unconditionally. And I think everybody needs that. Friendships. She, yes, friendships uh-huh. and relationships. And uh, just to watch her journey, uh-huh. uh, Marcel, where, where she wasn't planning to go this direction, uh, but what she's done in, in women's lives and touched so many. It's just an amazing story. Absolutely. I think anyone who has a regular business, if you look at her growth and just Yes. Looking at opportunity in a time where people were cutting down, cutting back, cutting out, uh-huh. uh, she stepped out and started up and developed other businesses. And what she has to say about relationships and fundraising, I think that's a, <laughs> oh, it's a uh, an incredibly uh-huh. hard job. And what she has to say is wonderful. Yeah, she's got some true wisdom on all that. So, so let's listen to her. Let's do it. Okay. Just a word from our sponsor. And now back to our show. Good morning, Beth. I'm so glad to have you uh, with us today. And it's it's so exciting to get to hear a little bit about what you're doing. Uh, I've known you for a while now and certainly know your family. And it's just a real honor to have you on the show. Uh, Marcel, thanks for the invitation. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. And and excited about this podcast that you're doing. Yes, I, it, it's been a crazy thing. I've had an opportunity. My most fun thing is uh, to talk to other women about what they're doing and how, uh, how they're doing it. And just sometimes, you know, when you're looking at someone who's now successful, it looks so easy when... <laughs> <laughs> the real truth is it wasn't, it wasn't very easy at all. Um, I'm going to first start out with just asking you to tell us about your journey, how you got from where you were to where you are today. Okay. So my journey was a little different than probably most people. So I kind of fell into the opportunity that I'm living today 
by being someone that had kind of got off track in her teenage years and Mm -hmm. started experimenting with drugs and alcohol and got really messed up and just found myself in a really dark, bad place. And someone told me about a place that could help me. And I got a one-way ticket to New York from the state of Texas and entered this home that the people just loved me kind of back to life. They just Mm -hmm. took me um, in and with no thought of what I had or what I could offer, but just with a real love and belief that um, the power of God could change my life. And so that's kind of how I stepped into this. And then stayed and worked and have kind of worked every job in the organization, started at a very entry-level job. And I always tell people that I moved from job to job, not because I was great at them, but because I <laughs> really had a hard time finding where I fit. Hmm. And it was um, a, a few years into it, I had tried different positions and, and different jobs, and I stepped into the business part of the organization. And I it's just like... It was like the piece of the puzzle finally Mm -hmm. fell in. And I just thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I kind of just grew into it and have um, walked the journey. And it's been an incredible, incredible journey. Give our audience a little more information about the organization that uh, you currently are the CEO and president of. Um, So tell us about the organization as a whole. Okay, sure. Hoving Home has been in operation since 1967, and I'm actually only the second CEO president of it. So we, wow. um, I took over from a 50-year founder. We've been serving women that have struggled with drugs and alcohol addiction and have also been trafficked for the 54 years we've been in operation. We have locations in New York and New Jersey. We're in California and Nevada, and we are opening January 1st in North Carolina, a brand new center. Wow. So very excited about what the Lord's doing. So we are a Christian faith-based recovery home. And we just really kind of just love people and teach them about Christ, teach them that that if they will serve him and follow him, their life can be different. And as they do it, we've seen that over and over. The transformation is unreal. So we've served over 26,000 women in the 54 years that we've been operating. And we actually are also um, one of our newest programs we opened in 2019 as women with children. So now our, our women can actually bring their children with them and have restoration without separation. So it's really an exciting time. We know that the drug epidemic is... I mean, just out of control and post-COVID number, we're seeing numbers we've never seen before in the recovery mm-hmm. world. And um, and so just there's huge need among women that just really need someone to walk along beside them, help them become overcomers and then help them find their next steps. And that's probably the, for me, where I get the greatest joy is just seeing them what they think they are and what they look like in the moment when they walk in the door and then just believing with them what they can be. And then years later, just knowing what, what they are. I I got a call yesterday from a gal that her and her husband, she got married. She has three kids now. And she had started using drugs when she was eight. She came to us in her late twenties, but now married three kids doing beautiful. And she asked if she could she wanted to send a significant donation because of all that had been done. And I thought, you know, that's full circle that when you're rescued, you start rescuing others. And 
And I think that's what it's supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. That's um, eight, age eight. That's, you know, almost yeah. incomprehensible um, for me. That's, that's really tough. Um, it, it almost seems like the profession you chose kind of chose you. Um, Beth, I, I, um, most people go, you know, they take the college route. Did you Mm -hmm. do any additional classes or is it all self-learned, self, uh, motivated type on the job learning? Yeah, it's been pretty much on the job learning. Of course I've taken, I mean, not college courses. I don't have a college degree, um, but I've taken a lot of training, a lot of courses in different areas, especially in the areas where I needed some expertise to, to do the business um, aspect of the organization. And um, but what I found and what I try to do now is I had amazing people surround me. Mm-hmm. I mean, people just mentored me and I didn't know what that was when it was happening. But I, I just had the most amazing people that saw some potential and began to call it out and then provided resources and time and energy. My um, prior boss, the founder of the, the Hoving Home, he used to travel to New York twice a month. And every time he would travel here, I mean, for at least the last 22 years of, of before, he, before he passed away, he would hand me a book every trip and say, hey, I just got through reading this. You should read it. And then we'd discuss it on the next trip. And so he just invested and invested and invested. And, and I, I contribute most of my success or all of my success, of course, to God that enables us. And then the people that he put around me, they were amazing. You know, that takes me, that's usually a question I ask a little bit later, but uh, talk to me about your mentors. And I, I just, um, John Maxwell is a, a good, actually, I, it's become a friend of mine, uh, but also a tremendous mentor. Um, and, and one of his, you know, statements is to surround your people, yourself with great people, uh, people who are better than you and many times. So tell me who your mentors have been. I know you said the founder for sure. And tell me his name. His name is John Benton. Okay. Yeah. And if I had to name one that probably impacted me professionally the most, it was him. Um, Mm -hmm. there were others along the way, you know, it, it was, it's interesting in seasons. Like when I became CEO of the, of the Hoving home five years ago, our board of directors really invested a lot of resources for me to be surrounded by a few strong, uh, mentoring networks. I don't know if you have heard of Praxis labs, but I went through a nonprofit accelerator that, that really changed my life. And, and provided me with 25 to 30 mentors during that year-long process. And you actually interviewed one, I think, in April, Britt. And oh. she happened to be one of them. I mean, she's just phenomenal. Yes. And so, so I was surrounded that first year of my new position with, with really great people. I also am in a, a Christian CEO peer group that I meet monthly with that mentors me and teaches me and helps me work through um, problems. But through my, through my career, I've just had people that, you know, and some were just so unassuming, you know, they weren't always the the biggest and loudest leaders. They were people that just prodded me along, confronted me when I needed to be confronted. 
and um, put me back on a straight path when I was kind of getting, I guess, maybe sometimes full of myself thinking I had figured this thing out. I don't know if you do that, but I do that. (laughs) I I always say for myself is when I wake up and really, I don't like anyone. Um, Uh I I can just list them all out. And I think I don't really like any of them. Uh And I think, oh my goodness, I need to get in a room because the problem is not them. I always say they and them. If we ever knew who they and them were, we'd have the answer to everything. (laughs) And I just need to work on myself. Um, you know, just <laughs> yeah. personally. I, that's um, right. And, and just surrounding myself with a really strong group of leaders and then a really strong group of friends, kind of the mm-hmm. tribe that I trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't do it without just the few people in my life that I think I could do it, do anything or say anything and they would still love me. And there's something powerful about that. There is so. something very powerful about that. Yeah. And let me add also, you brought up John Maxwell. So in that time period, I think sometimes people get tripped up on this, Marcel, where they're looking for someone, but there were many times when it wasn't someone, it was an author like John Maxwell. Uh Very Uh early in my career, I read every book. This is before he had the big coaching organization. I've been doing (laughs) this 30 years. So it's a long time ago. And um, I read every one. I mean, one of my first leadership books was Developing the Leader Within You and then I, developing the leaders you know, around I, you. So you just grab my, those. One of my favorite, <laughs> that that to me for a beginning leader, uh, no matter whether you are a person of faith or not, that is that is one of the best books um, out there. And I think he's known more for the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Right. But, but for me, that one was, you know, stellar. I agree with you. And I just kind of, you know, I'm an avid reader, though. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like I get mentored by people through the time and energy they put into their books and their podcast and their teaching. So I think there's a lot of different ways to have mentors. Yes, that that's great insight. Um, Tell me, um, while we're on just this subject, I know you during this whole time, you have a child. We were just trying to decide um, how old this child mm. is now, but um, I, he must be, I know the last time I talked to you, I think he was going to college and you were moving him in. And so he mm. must in that time have finished or dropped out or picked yeah. it out, something else. Uh, tell us how you, how you did that because what you the way you, and I don't know that the audience really got that, you lived and worked at the same place. Correct. There, there wasn't a lot of, you know, I, I turned the lights off and I set the alarm and I went home, even if that was a long period of time. You were you were there. Tell me how you how you did that, Beth, or how sure. if, uh, women are leading how, I hate the word balance, uh, but how you managed to work all of those things out. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's not little anymore. He did graduate college last year. He's 23. (laughs) And, um, you know, I used to really get tripped up with the whole balance thing and, and no disrespect, but I don't do it well. And I can never, (laughs) I always would read that stuff and feel so condemned. And (laughs) I just really began to walk through it for my own. What does it look like for my life? What does it look like for my family? How do I do this and still be somewhat healthy? And so for me, it's kind of become more of a 
what is healthy, mm-hmm. you know, and I would just really try when I was home to be home. And when yeah. I was in the office to be in the office and because of the type of organization or ministry that we are, we do direct care. We live on site or we live across the street. We're very involved. We become like a family. So I also included my family in the mix. I mean, my son, Jason went to, you know, holidays with everybody and events with everybody and, and, and then when, as he got older, finding that balance, find not, finding that place for him where he could choose if he wanted to be involved or not and, mm-hmm. and make some choices on his own. But I really think balance is a little overrated. I think <laughs> that I really work hard to just kind of be present wherever I'm at mm-hmm. and not to, to be on, you know, like right now, I mean, what's the greatest enemy of that right now is my phone. You know, put, 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 your put away. You're yeah. right. You turn yeah. it over, not be on it at dinner. Yes. Right. Um, you know, Beth, I always think that life is a matter of averages and sometimes work wins and sometimes home wins. And absolutely, you know, you can't, you're never, it's never going to be 50, 50. If you've been right. married, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's never 50, 50, uh, depending upon the task that's being done. So, uh, and, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I do think it's interesting that you bring that up, that there could be some guilt involved with trying whatever this image of balance is, um, for, for people, um, you know, it's, it's tough to be a woman many times. That, that brings the question as I was sitting here listening to you. So you are in charge of female organization, but you really took over for, um, for a man, for a man. Mm -hmm. So tell me how that transition was and maybe some of the struggles with when, once you were put in this position, it sounds like it evolved, but, but there had to be some struggles along the way. Uh, talk to us about how people can work through those. Okay. Yeah, there's always that, that whole male-female issue. And, and being a CEO in a ministry or organization, still most of the meetings I'm in are men. Mm-hmm. And even though I lead a, a workforce, 100% women, <laughs> Um, I've just, I really try to go into those situations with, um, with the knowledge of being called to this and being secure in that. So there was a, a chapter in a book that changed my life. Um, it was by Sheryl Sandberg. The book was called lean in. I don't remember a lot in the book other than the one chapter that talked about the imposter syndrome. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I'd never heard words put to it. But I had always felt like when I walked into a room that I wasn't enough or mm-hmm. that I wasn't smart enough. And when, when I read that, and I can't remember how many years ago, it just kind of flipped something in my head that thought, you know, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I am. I do have the experience. And if I don't know the solution, I can find it. Yeah. And if other people think I can have a seat at the table, I'm going to sit at the table and I'm going to have a voice. And it's really opened up doors. I think as females, we kind of, and 
maybe this is because I was raised in the South. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but we kind of think our voice sometimes doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And actually, our voice really, really matters. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I actually love, I mean, I'm kind of a challenging person anyway. So I don't mind challenging something in a room <laughs> or if, if, you know, if I'm not feeling like being, you know, that they're recognizing me as an equal, I, I'm not against challenging. And because I think that most men don't recognize that they do it. I think they just don't think that way. And, but some of the challenges that I've had is, um, you know, in the Christian community, um, it came up um, a while back, I guess four or five years ago with Pence when he says he won't have meals with a female without his wife. And and I get that, Mm -hmm. but in the business community and in my world where I'm constantly meeting with donors, that can be really difficult. Right. And I understand, but I think it sometimes puts us as females in a position, like going to the golf course is not natural for them to invite me <laughs> as it well, would be they, my you, male you boss. You can probably, Beth, you right. can probably play. I, probably. I know your mother and father can play. I, you know, no one wants me on the golf course. Right. There's the problem. Right. But it's just a different feel, right? If right. my boss would get invited to those things, I have to create those situations. So mm-hmm. I think you just have to kind of navigate it. And one of the things I've just determined not to do is to to really use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a there's a lot of reasons that it's hard and there's some challenges with it, but just work around it fight through it, challenge it when it's in front of you. And I challenge it for the next lady, the net one that's coming behind me. Yeah. I don't want her to have it as hard as I did. I don't know if that is helps or not, but that's I, how I walk through it. Oh, I think that's some great advice. I was just thinking as you were talking through that, when you started down this road and you knew business was the place you were going to sit, I think you've taught, you've given us a little bit about some things that you've just made a decision on to live differently. But are, is there anything that you you think that you would do differently if you had to a chance to shake it up and start it over? Oh, yeah. There's so many things. <laughs> I, I really think I probably would have worked towards a degree. Learning everything the hard way is really the hard way. I'm not saying going to college, you know it all when you step out. But you have some basics mm-hmm. that, because, you know, you really don't know what you don't know. Right. And so for me, it was having to learn what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I'd probably, probably turn to school at some point. And I, I probably would have stepped into that. But who knows if I'd be the same person if I did that, right? Um, right. Some of the other things I'd probably do differently is is try to learn how to be authentic Mm -hmm. and comfortable with myself sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's been a long journey Mm -hmm. and, and then really probably something I've just learned in the last three or four years that if I could have learned it at the beginning, I, I, it would have changed my life is the importance of rest or what (laughs) may be called a Sabbath. You know, I, 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 rest is not earned. It just is what it is. And we need it. And I lived most of my life kind of tired because I, <laughs> I, I did. I just didn't see value in stopping yeah. and resting. But about five years ago, 
I really began to research and look at in my, I mean, the energy I have, the productivity, it's just so much better because I've just learned I am human and mm-hmm. I need a day to do nothing. Yeah. And I do that. I try to do that every week. What What's your favorite uh, mindless activity? I love to read. And so when I, when I'm, it's a day of rest for me, I don't read work stuff. <laughs> the right? how-to books. I That's say. right. That's uh, right. So I, I, I read some yeah. enjoyable stuff. I read stuff that I do. My husband and I travel a lot. So we, we do a lot of trips where we just do long weekends and kind of see new stuff. And, and then I also sometimes just sleep, honestly. <laughs> and sometimes just, you know, just kind of take a hot bath and give myself a facial and sleep for a couple hours. <laughs> and, you know, it just, there's something in it that, that says this is okay. And that was hard for me to learn, Marcel. It was really, really hard. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not what I do well, nor, yeah. uh, what I, I don't sleep well either. It would be really nice, but it's not my, my favorite place is the ocean. I, mm. I think that if I can just see the ocean, I'm just, <laughs> Just going to be better. Yeah. Tell me, is this the way that, you know, when you look at a woman like you, you, you have a husband, you have a child, um, you, you've lived on property, you deal with women who have struggles every day. And regardless of whether you've walked that or not, it is an energy zapping, um, situation has there ever been a moment that you got near burnout and you said i've got to i've got to change what i'm doing yeah there's been a few of them (laughs) (laughs) i've I've actually the first 10 years of my career probably submitted my resignation three times and just really feeling like this is this is more than i want to pay the cost of this is really high the emotional cost the you know, when you're in ministry, the financial cost. Right. <laughs> and it, maybe it's more than I want to pay. But I, I, for me, it's a lot about my faith walk, too, is mm-hmm. I really feel like this is where God has me. And every time I have wanted to walk away, I just had this sick feeling of to what? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I don't even know how to explain it to people. I don't feel like I could, I could do anything else. That's how strong it is. And I oftentimes when people want to go into this work, I said, you know, if you think you can do anything else and you would not miss this, go do that. Because mm-hmm. this is really a high pay, a, a price to pay you. You know, in the recovery world, there's great joys, but there is great sorrow. Right. I mean, last year, overdose deaths, you know, they report came out this week over a hundred thousand in the last year, three times any other year. And, and it, you know, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of grief. And so when you're working with people, there's just problems, you know, <laughs> and it that's for the people. We that's, would right. have problems, uh, right? that's what I say. And then I'd have no job. Right. <laughs> right. And so I, I just, there is, there's been moments that I've thought about changing direction or changing course. But there's just something inside of me that I just can't. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of the how hard it is, there is a, a love for what I do that mm-hmm. I can't even explain. 
that it's so wonderful to have people like you, Beth, that that have that attitude uh, and the love for other people. I, I know the other thing that you've done, let's, and, and I will say, I, I feel like a nonprofit, some people feel like that's an easier thing to run. I always think that's the hardest thing in the world to run, especially if you have volunteers working in it. Anyone who can, you know, direct a bunch of volunteers is, you know, a saint. Um, <laughs> So, but I know you have really personally been um, most of the person who's expanded your ministry, expanded to other states, and you mentioned that at the the very beginning. Tell me uh, the process of how you've done that. Okay. It's kind of been by surprise, honestly. <laughs> so I became, I became CEO president in 2016 in March, and in later, probably even three months after that, I get a call from somebody that says, hey, there's a property for sale in New Jersey. You ought to look at it. And before I could even kind of get my feet on the ground as a new CEO, we were opening a 30-bed facility in New Jersey. Wow. And, and it's like, oh, breath now. <laughs> and it was about, um, I don't know, not even a year later, I had a young girl come into my life, not young, probably in her mid thirties, but a a young woman that was, had been in this field for a long time, but had a heart for women with children. And she had asked me and a friend of mine, if we would help her set up a year of going around the country, looking at women and children's and learn it. And so she did that. She raised her own funds and, and did that for a year. And she was coming to be mentored by, to, by me for three months in executive leadership and fundraising. Because in the nonprofit world, if you're the one running it, fundraising's most of your job. <laughs> right. And, um, and so when she got here, we were a couple months into it and about ready to launch her. And she was like, I really just want to be under Hoving Home in your ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I went to our board. And so all of a sudden now we have a women with children and that oh, opened wow. in 19 and the North Carolina one, I got a call during COVID and they have three homes in a small town in North Carolina and said they were going to be closing down. Is there any opportunity for us to, to send someone down to manage it or did we want it? So flew mm-hmm. down there, talked to their board and just made the decision to, to open that. So so, and, and we also, one of my favorite things we've done, and we did it during COVID is because because of the growth our organization was, was experiencing, staffing was becoming a challenge because we hire a lot of our graduates. Mm-hmm. And so we opened a leadership academy. And oh, that's so that's, that's nine months of training after you finish the program, if you want to go in this kind of work. And that's so, fabulous. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite new things that we're doing because I love to develop people and mm-hmm. I love to see women developed into the strong, capable people that they are. And so that's been a lot of fun. But, you know, I, I like I said, I feel like it's just kind of been surprise after surprise. We're going to be expanding into another state in mid 2022 and then do some expansion in our Nevada home to open a women and children there somewhere in the next one or two years. So a lot happening, but like I said, I have an incredible board of directors that just encourages and inspires me to think big Hmm. and to think because the need is so huge. You know, I mean, it would be my prayer that places like us wouldn't be needed 
because there would be no addiction. But we don't see that around the bend anytime soon. Um, So we want to have enough beds that if women need help, that we're there. Because we we offer our care. um, if, If someone can't pay, then they can still come in our program. We raise the money for that. So there's no refusal because of a a lack of money. And, you know, you don't find that very often. And that's really our DNA. We just want to see lives touched. Uh And, and so, so the growth has been exciting, but unexpected. And it's been a real learning curve. I thought, how hard can this be open a center? (laughs) I've ran at one before. It's a lot harder to open one than just take one that's going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any any day of the week expansion. I love, love growth, but yeah. let's just say yeah. um, it's, it's not so easy. Yeah. Um, but I will know, tell you, Marcel, one of the things that was really amazing is that I took CEO in 2016. I wouldn't have done it sooner because my son was graduating high school in 16. Mm -hmm. So he was going to college. So really it just kind of was one of those serendipity moments where if this hadn't have been the timing exactly like this, I don't know if I would have done it Yeah, with the travel that I have to do. It would have been too difficult. Well, let's, let's talk about 2020 then. Um, And, you know, you're, I know for all of us and, Actually, my last month, I've been out of town more than I've been home, uh, which my grandchildren would tell you. It's bad if you get old enough to have grandchildren and text <laughs> you and say, uh, Gam, we haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah. And you live in the same town with them. That's, that's really <laughs> bad. Um, but 2020 brought us all to a halt for a while. Talk to me how it, and I know nonprofits in particular, um, were hurt during that time. It doesn't sound like that happened to you guys. How did you work through that and how did that change your life? So 2020 is a really interesting year um, for us. So financially, people stepped up to the plate. We had to cancel events. We had to do all kinds of things. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the band for King and Country. We were one of the first virtual concerts they did. We had known them for a little while, called and said, hey, will you work with us? So, you know, we kind of were trying to very beginning, but financially, our donors really stepped up to the plate and gave. So we, we didn't suffer in that arena. Um, where we really struggled was census and the number of people in our programs, because the states that we're in, a lot, they made us cut back. So we couldn't take women for a while until we got wow. to school. So as people were leaving, we couldn't replace them. And then one of probably the most devastating things that happened to um, women in recovery during that year is the isolation. Community mm-hmm. is so needed for people to be able to stay sober and to stay on the right path. Mm-hmm. Devastated the recovery community. And one of, I mean, even in the areas that we're in, specifically our Northeast, even our detoxes moved to COVID beds. So there was nowhere to even go and physically detox or wow. medically detox. And, and then with the extra money and the um, things that went with that, with unemployment and just the subsidies that were being given, it was a really challenging time to um, get people to come and, and for people to come into community with the amount of fear that was around it. So that was where our challenge was about. We, we pivoted with our programming. Um, our volunteers got on Zoom with us. 
we, you know, pretty, we couldn't do volunteers for about six months. So that was really hard, but we just kind of created for the women in our program. They didn't experience any loss of program. It just looked different, but we, we suffered the most by people not being able to come in. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's been a really, really hard thing to build back from. Yes, especially, I think you mentioned your, um, of course, Texas, you know, (laughs) in Texas, we've been free for a long, long time now. Um, But I know in New York, I I was just up there a ride after they began to open up and you could actually go in a restaurant. I've never seen New York so empty and California. Those are places where we're very slow to open back up. so one one plus of it, Marcel, was the airplanes were empty because I was traveling during whole COVID. <laughs> I mean, the airports and the airplanes were completely empty. It isn't that it's it's really a shock. I was on a plane two nights ago. Every every seat is filled. Every- I, I'm with you. It it terrified me a little. I yeah. could be on a plane with three people. I thought, oh dear. Um, yeah. The United States is really in trouble. So did you ever slow down traveling during that time, Beth? I did for about three or four weeks when they said we were going to be shut down for two. (laughs) I canceled (laughs) a couple trips. But yeah, no, we really didn't. I I was still going coast to coast and doing other things, meeting with donors that would meet with. They did a lot of Zoom and all that everybody else did. But yeah, Mm -hmm. airports were the easiest I've ever seen them. And you're right. I mean, they're back to being a mess again. I actually flew in on the red eye this morning and (laughs) there was seat on the plane. I mean, that's just the way it's been. I I thought it was always funny. Like they'd yell at you in the line to be six feet away. And then I'd get on the plane and be next to somebody. So I I can't even, (laughs) and I certainly uh, in my family, I've told them we we don't talk about the vaccine uh, at all or especially (laughs) COVID at all but uh, there are so many um, you know funny if you go out on the internet you can hear lots and we've lost our sense of humor on it but the the ironic things that we do are crazy Um, but anyway um, but you know you really feel for people's fear You know, and I think for me, that's been like, even our women, even people coming into our community setting, we had to deal Mm -hmm. with a lot of their fears. Right. And, and, you know, we, we didn't go unscathed. We had a couple outbreaks, but thankfully very mild and everybody's healthy and Mm -hmm. um, just thankful that we might be coming out of it. But I don't know. I mean, I, through every hard time, you can find really good time, good things if you look. The amount of time people were able to spend with their families, the things that shifted, be interesting to see where it pulls out in the workplace, especially among women in the next few years, because I think women were highly affected during COVID. Right, right. They were trying to work and their kids were home and they had to teach them. I I will say, um, I was going to ask you, what are some positive things that Mm -hmm. you think for you and for your organization that have come out of COVID. I mean, out of those hard times, because I agree with you, we are forever changed and we're just beginning to see um, that. And and hopefully, at least for my own life, I want those to be positive changes. Yeah. And that's how we felt. We kind of met early on and said, you know, especially after we realized this was going to last longer than we thought, we said, okay, what can we do where, 
we've been wanting to do it, but it's been too busy. Or there's been too many distractions. So we revamped our whole curriculum. We refined all of our programming. We looked at all of our classes and the outcomes of the last 10, 15 years and said, are we, should we still be doing this? So we really took a lot of time looking at things that we had just been too busy to look at. And um, so for us, I feel like we came out of it with a, a much stronger programming um, just a kind of a, an exciting new programming. You know, it's still very biblical. It's still, but there, there was so many new pieces of curriculum that we found. My staff started reading books and recommending them. And so those are the kinds of things that helped us grow in the organization um, internally. Uh-huh. And we started the Leadership Academy. So that was exciting. I started a cohort with 12 young leaders. We're finishing up in January. Uh, where I took 12 of my current staff that were young and thought they might want to someday be directors and program managers. So I've been working with them for the last year in a monthly cohort through um, just kind of bigger, you know, issues that they'll need to, to get some victory in to go to the next level. So we just kind of just, just, I, I don't know, really thought, how are we going to use this time and come out of it where we felt like we didn't waste it? Um, Switching gears just a little bit, um, you said most of your job and most CEOs or presidents of nonprofits spend most of their time fundraising. You evidently have been very successful for that with that, even through COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you talk a little bit? I know you have a compelling story, mm-hmm. but uh, tell me how you would, if someone had a wonderful heart for a particular ministry, how, what, what are the steps you would tell them to take to be successful at fundraising? It's about relationships. You have, as, as fu- um, fundraisers, CEOs, even development, if that's your, someone's job, it's that, we have to stop looking at people as ATMs. Like when we have a need, they need it, right? It's about relationship because I feel like one of my greatest callings as somebody that does raise funds is that I I feel like I have this great opportunity to match really generous people that God has gifted to give with really great things happening in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And and if I can match those two, it's a really great thing for them and a really great thing. And I, I had to learn that. I had never seen it from that side before. And it was really a, a interesting, fun process. And, and then I would just be honest with, with donors. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm going to just tell you what's going on. And if your heart is moved, I'd love to be somebody you gave to. And, you know, let me tell you, uh, one of the moments that was so life-changing for me. It was in my first couple years um, when I was meeting with donors and I was sitting with a donor that really, really could make a significant gift and, and impact our organization greatly. But as we were talking, I realized that his passion was not for something that I did. His passion was for mentoring and helping teenage boys. I didn't do that. I worked with women. Yes. And so, but I had a friend that has a great organization that works with teenage boys. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, I have a choice here. 
if I really believe in what I'm saying of it's about relationship, it's about connecting passions with giving, then I'll introduce those. And that's what I did. And he's still a donor today, but not at the level he is to my friend's organization. And I think that that, if you go into it for me, I, I serve a father in heaven that has all the riches. And so what he provides is enough. And so I have to go in with that trust relationship into every meeting that what God wants to do will happen in this meeting. My job is to go and present and to have conversation and be in relationship with people. Fundraising is about relationship. My CEO duties is about relationship. Mm-hmm. And you asked me earlier about if what would I, you know, maybe when I was younger and in my career, what would have been good to know or what would I have done differently? I, you know, and I think back and I think, you know, learning that relationships is really the number one thing that can make mm-hmm. you successful or not would have been huge to know in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if, if only, right? Yes, yes. Beth, I, um, I always love to end the time, and I, I have this ongoing list of books because I, I, too, love books, and it depends on where I am at that given moment as to whether I'm reading mindless books or I'm way into um, how-to kind of books, um, but um, tell, can, can you give the audience your favorite, your favorite books, and you can put them in two or three categories, you know, okay. leadership, or just for fun, or I've had people even give us their favorite children's books, so anything you want to put on the list, I would love to write down. Okay, so one of my favorite books Um, just in the last few years is a book written by Peter Greer called Rooting for Rivals. Mm -hmm. And it talks about really stop being competitive with each other and, and work in, in Christian ministry ministry together for one common goal. So Mm -hmm. that, that was really a, a great book for me as a CEO, you know, always feel like I'm competing to just drop that. I'm not that I'm rooting for them too. Probably one of my um, all-time favorites. It's a little bitty book, though. It's called The Redemptive Nonprofit, and it's by Praxis Labs. It's not a full book. It's a little book. They just wrote one called Redemptive Business. It's basically about um, your business or your nonprofit um, being redemptive and paying people well, taking care of people, serving people well. Phenomenal. Um, I, I read it pretty often to remind myself of it. Um, I I love the book by Chris Tomlin called Holy Roar and just talks about worship and how important worship is. Yes. I mean, do you know Chris Tomlin? I met him a couple years ago. Yeah. I went Uh to an event and I don't know him well, but I met him and I, you know, you kind of fangirl because you listen to his songs for so many years. (laughs) (laughs) You feel like I just, he just came to a small leadership group and performed. And I just found out my daughter-in-law was in his very early years when he was down in the South Texas area she um she knew him he i mean it was 100 years ago and he he didn't remember her but you know it's funny to see where where they were just working with a youth group in a right. small town 
Yeah. And then for anything leadership wise, I'll tell you right now, John Gordon's kind of at the top of my list. Okay. He's got a lot of great little books that that just really kind of encourage and help. Um, I could go on all day. I love <laughs> to read. <laughs> that's a fabulous Beth. Well, I appreciate we're at the end of our time. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you are just super busy and I just stand in awe of what you do. And I, I just thank you so much that you've taken the time to be on the podcast today uh, and with 50% with Marcel Combs. And you're just an inspiration to women um, out there that can just do anything they want to do if they put their mind to it. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you for letting me be a part of it, Marcel. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.